Welcome to Sportsbeat KC, the Kansas City Star's daily sports podcast. It's Tuesday, October 13th, and I'm Blair Kirkhoff. The Royal season finished two weeks ago, but there's still plenty to discuss about a team that improved over the previous two years from a winning percentage standpoint. Beat writer Lynn Worthy joins me to discuss what's happening with the organization's minor league players in a year where there was no minor league season and what went right and wrong about the Royals' 2020 season. We take a look ahead at some of the offseason decisions facing general manager Dayton Moore and manager Mike Matheny. So here we go with Lynn Worthy. Hey, Lynn, we haven't talked since the end of the Royal season. How you doing? I'm doing all right, you know, watching a little bit of uh, playoff baseball and um, just trying to keep a, an eye out on what the future may hold for these Royals. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I've, I've been impressed with the Tampa Tampa Bay Rays. They, um, um, and, and almost as a model for a small market team to the, the way they go about their business, not a lot of stars, but a lot of just terrific players who, um, you know, do the fundamentals well, they pitch well, they're, they're kind of, they're kind of interesting to watch. Yeah. And, and the pitching is the big thing to me. Just, um, I mean, throughout the playoffs, you've seen a lot of it, but Tampa Bay is definitely one of those teams where, um, they've got a couple of starters that are, you know, their, their linchpins and then the bullpen, they've got a lot of guys that can use a lot, get used a lot of different ways and seem to be able to, um, you know, piece it together from night to night. Um, and it reminds me of, you know, sort of what we saw Matheny doing this season, just in terms of being able to um, use different guys in different roles and, and try to, you know, um, if you got to get five innings and be creative and, and trying to piece that together and keep a game within reach, uh, you, you'd like to not have to do that in, you know, the first month of the season. <laughs> but right, right, exactly. you'd like that to be more of a playoff thing. But um, But, yeah, I think that's – you know, um, just a, an example of how things can come together um, with a team that's not going to be able to go out and just buy free agents uh, every offseason. Exactly. Um, and the Royals are, are one of those types of teams. Um, but the Royals are doing something. Uh, they're they're pretty, being proactive with their minor leaguers, which uh, you wrote about today. There's a story posted on the Stars website today that you'll find in the show notes. And, of course, on KansasCity.com, headline is Royals making most of chance to work with their minor leaguers and build toward the future. Um, They are – it was such an odd place for baseball this year to not have minor league baseball. So the Royals are just – seem to be doing what they can to create a minor league baseball environment or have have been really through the summer and now into the fall, create the minor league baseball environment for its – you know, for its prospects, over a hundred of them. Tell us what the Royals are doing, what they've done and what they, what they're doing, what they hope to get out of this. Yeah. So, I mean, I think it starts with the alternate site, which I'm sure people are aware of that while the baseball season was going on, there was the alternate site for Kansas city. That was, you know, T-Bone stadium in Kansas city, Kansas, where you had about 30 guys who weren't on the big league roster, but who were staying in shape, um, training, practicing, doing inter-squad scrimmages, you know, trying to be as baseball-ready as possible for their duration of the season, just doing it sort of in a closed site, um, like I said, at T-Bones Ballpark, where they were working with, you know, basically the minor league staff, player development staff um, on a daily basis. 
And uh, but of course, that's only you know if you had a when you had a thirty man major league roster, then there was only thirty guys over there. When it was twenty eight, then it was thirty two over there. But either way, it's a small chunk of the minor leaguers that you have in your system. So um, once they got the okay from Major League Baseball to have a fall instructional league, then they put the plans in motion where as soon as the season ended, then the fall camp started. So they had a fall camp that's still ongoing at in Kansas City at uh, Kauffman Stadium now, where they put together two teams. A lot of them are guys who are at the alternate site, but then also other minor leaguers who have been working out on their own this offseason. And when I say on their own, they've also been in contact with their hitting, pitching um, managers, uh, hitting coaches, pitching coaches, managers, uh, instructors. Um, but they've been doing it, you know, without hands-on. They've been doing it in their separate locations. A lot of them spread throughout the globe, not just around the country. Right. Um, so you brought in some of those guys. And so then you have two teams of 25, 50 guys in Kansas city playing games and having basically the, you know, an abbreviated season for these minor leaguers who didn't have a season on top of that. You also have another 70 guys, uh, at least initially, I think it's the numbers have grown a little bit, just with some injuries. They've added some more guys, but um, 70 guys who went to uh, Arizona to have camp there well, they've got two teams there that they're uh, they're playing games against other teams, other organizations who've got facilities in Arizona, and again having the minor league season that they haven't had. Those guys uh, just started playing games a week ago, and are now in their uh, second week of game play, and they're going to be in Arizona until November twentieth. Uh, I believe the games will only go to the thirteenth, and that last week is going to probably be more of a camp week and a exit interviews and the sort of this is what we're looking for you to do into the offseason type thing. Um, but so, yeah, you've got a, 120 minor leaguers who aren't 40 man roster guys who are who haven't had a season who at most some of them have had alternate site uh, training and inter squads who are now getting, um, you know, to be on teams, to have sort of a gameplay setting. Uh, to, to be working with their their coaches and and staff hands on, um, and it's something that you know I know um, General Manager Dayton Moore has been big on. Have they had to have this? Um, JJ Colo, who's you know in charge of the minor league system, assistant general manager, talked a long time about um, how this was something that they were looking forward to, that they needed to have, that they were you know planning for when they didn't know for sure they were going to have it. And so now that's getting up and running. I thought one of the interesting quotes from Dayton or one of his thoughts was that, you know, throughout throughout the country and throughout baseball, there were players of all ages in organized games. You know, in, in the listen, in the pandemic environment, maybe without fans and and, and distanced and all the things that we were doing in the pandemic, but not but not minor league baseball players. There was no organized, you know, organized games for them over over the summer and um and so the royals seem to be doing everything they can to uh, to continue their development in in, in um in a way that's been disrupted for you know because of the pandemic and <clears throat> excuse me and baseball's rules about minor league baseball now it's just going to be a different it's just a, a different system going forward isn't it with um with, with, it's not going to be minor league baseball the way we knew it with so many teams for um, for, for each franchise. 
Yeah, yeah. It's I mean, the, the, the contraction in the minor leagues is going to um, – you're not going to have so many guys, especially at that lower level. Like, you know, I remember it's been – it was described to me in the past as a um, sort of a pyramid where at the base there's – this large group of, you know, um, lower level prospects who, you know, you got so many levels of a ball, whether it's short season or rookie league um, and all these guys who are at that base, that pyramid. But then when you, as you get up to, you know, double A where it starts to narrow and there's only one double A team and then there's only one triple A team. Um, that's, you know, sort of the way that you look at player development is, you know, the opportunities start to get uh, fewer as you climb and get higher up that pyramid. Well, the base of that pyramid is going to get smaller now just because of the, the numbers shrinking. And there's not going to be so many short season teams. There's not going to be, you know, a lot of it's going to get done out of their um, spring training facilities as opposed to in actual leagues. Um, so, yeah, that's going to look a lot different. But uh, this year, you know, a lot of those guys just didn't, I mean, it, it didn't matter where you were on the pyramid. A lot of guys just didn't have any place to play this year. And, um when Dayton originally started saying that it was, you know, Major League Baseball still hadn't given the okay to, uh, or given the signed off on what the minor league season was going to be, and Dayton was really frustrated at the time and sort of speaking out about the fact that, like, hey, you know, they're they're playing baseball all over this country, and right. Major League Baseball is has a season going, and the minor leaguers are just sort of left out. So I think he was really speaking out of frustration and sort of saying, let's get this thing going here. Um, Cause it wasn't until I believe it was the might even been September 1st when that memo went out reportedly to the, the um, major league team saying, yes, it's okay for the fall season. And this is what the stipulations are going to be. So um, all that time in between minor leaguers didn't know what they were going to be doing. And, you know, I mean, as people probably know, Dayton Moore has a son who's playing college baseball who, you know, so he's he's seen it firsthand where there's college players who are out getting who are out playing, and you talk to other people who are involved with baseball. They've got you know children playing little league who were playing this summer, high school teams right. doing fall ball. Like there's there's a lot of stuff going on. And once you got past a certain point, Major League Baseball still wasn't um, hadn't given the sign off on what they were going to do for the minor leaguers. So I think there was um, a little bit of frustration and probably f a feeling that they were dragging their feet. Uh, my words, not Dayton's, but Dayton was pretty adamant about what he thought. <laughs> yeah. And some of those, some of those thoughts are why some people want Dayton to be, uh, uh have, have a national position in baseball, right. Uh, you know, could, could even uh, possibly be a commissioner candidate someday. He just supports the game in a public way and um and is a champion really of, of baseball so okay hey lynn let's take a break here um we got uh, we, we talk about uh, what we saw from the royals this season and what the off season will be a, a, about for this organization so we'll be right back hey it's blair we have a special subscription offer for sports beat kc listeners unlimited digital access to the Kansas City Star's award-winning sports coverage. Sign up now for one year of Sports Pass for access to all the sports news, features, and columns presented on the KansasCity.com site, and it's only $30. That's a 40% savings off our regular rate. Your subscription will automatically renew after the initial term at $50 bucks unless you tell us to cancel. Your subscription helps support the sports coverage of KansasCity.com and the Kansas City Star, and that support has never been more important. Please visit KansasCity.com slash offer to get this special offer. And as always, thanks for listening. 
Okay, we are back with Lynn Worthy, the, the beat writer, uh, covers the Royals for the Kansas City Star. And all right, Lynn, let's let's just really quickly sum up what 2020 baseball for the Royals was. They finished 26 and 34, fourth in the in the division ahead of the Tigers. I guess for the second straight year they finished fourth. The the winning percentage was their best in three years, 458, and that kind of equates to a 70 victory season over 162 games. But keep in mind they only played uh, AL Central and NL Central teams this year, and they were they were I guess six games out of the final playoff spot or six games behind the the Toronto Blue Jays, which got the final playoff spot in the American League. So I think we can safely say that progress was made this year. It was a step in the right direction. And, uh, and there's a, a bit of momentum that, that, uh, that the Royals can take from this season into next. Am I about, am I right on that? Yeah, it was, it was a step. It was progress from the back-to-back hundred loss seasons. Um, I mean, I think in, in, and if you break, I mean, you can always break seasons up into different segments and, and, and take what you want out of a certain segment. Um, but they, they did finish pretty strong. Um, they played, you know, which is sort of an anomaly in a season like this, but I think they played more games against teams that were above 500 than just about anybody else in baseball. I think it was. Um, and, uh, Really, they were again looking at it in segments, but I think it was like if you or if they had just played 500 ball against the White Sox, then they would have been 500 for the season because they went like one and nine against Chicago for right. whatever reason. And you know, um, just and I know they had a couple of games that they lost on walk offs there, and I think Salvi might have missed some of those games. And um, but for whatever you know, I mean, it's, it's baseball stuff happens over the course of a season, even a short season. So, um, but yeah, so they were one and nine. So if you, if you make that a, you know, a five and five instead of a one and nine, then I think that brings them up to, you know, like a 500 team um, for whatever that's worth. But yeah, I think that there's definitely strides made from the last couple of seasons where you just knew at a certain point that the, it wasn't, you know, it was going to be a, a development year <laughs> in a 162 game schedule. Whereas exactly. this, this year they were still, you know, mathematically in the running up until like the last week. Um, and that's after probably, you know, trading away some guys that might have been able to help down the stretch because they, you know, they just weren't close enough where they felt like they could uh, afford to lose guys and not get something back for them. You know, like a Trevor Rosenthal um, and people like that. So um, definitely steps made. You saw young guys like the, the pitchers and particularly Brady Singer, Chris Bubich, get their first taste of uh, Major League Baseball and perform pretty well. Um, you saw probably some guys, you, you, you answered some questions or at least uh, got a look at some guys as far as what you might do next year around the field in the everyday lineup. Um, but still some questions to be answered. I mean, you know, sure. and, um, things. Oh, we'll, and, we'll get to those. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. I, I got a list. I got yeah, a list. yeah. And, uh, and and you saw Salvi back, Salvador Perez, you know, coming. And I think it's the, the break almost makes you forget that the year before he missed the entire year and he came off Tommy John. And it was this question about how is he going to look coming off Tommy John? And he's he got over the, uh, you know, the hump as far as getting to age 30. And now it's like, OK, he's coming off surgery. He's starting to get, you know, not old, but getting getting up there a little bit. So what's this going to look like? And he hit from the beginning and hit all the way through. And if not for the time when he literally couldn't see, he would have been hitting then too. So. Yeah, no, you're right. He led the, still, I think he ended up leading the team in home runs with 11 and, 
and in batting average, 333. I mean, he, gosh, if, if he had to miss the chunk of games, I think he played in 37 of the 60. You know, if, if he plays 10, 12 more games, he probably qualifies for, you know, league leadership in some of these categories. He, he, he just swung the bat. There, there were games toward the end of the season where I just thought, you know, he's going to put good wood on this. And, and he did. He, he was, it's, it's the best I've ever seen him hit uh, for that stretch uh, after he came back. He was just terrific. And, and boy, I hope, I hope for the Royals that 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 carries over. But you listen. You mentioned you mentioned the young arms, Brady Singer and Chris Bubich, especially. Let's go to the bullpen, and this was a you know a spot in the you know in, in the Royals that I think they were second to last in, in ERA the the previous year, and they were eighth this year. I mean, what a what a what a great uh, turnaround for that that group that collection in in the bullpen and and. Um, and and there is a um, uh, there's a decision the Royals are going to have to make, I guess, with pending free agents, right? Uh, with with the, with some of the bullpen arms. Yeah, I mean, you'll have uh, Greg Holland is going to be a free agent. Um, you'll have uh, Ian Kennedy, who didn't pitch uh, particularly well this year after having a great season in 2019, be a free agent. Um, you'll have uh, and obviously Trevor Rosenthal was traded away. But so those three were sort of, um, you know, your your veteran, um, all guys who had closed games, all experienced guys, um, you know, all star types. Uh, Kennedy had been an all star, but the other two had been his closers. Um, so all three of them potentially could be gone. Um, you know, they've they've expressed it seems like they've expressed interest in, you know, potentially having Tre- Trevor Rosenthal come back. Definitely Greg Holland come back. I think they, I mean, depending on the situation, they might even be interested in, in having Kennedy come back because Kennedy's already said um, that, you know, because he's up there, he's uh, in the same age range as uh, Gordo. I think he's a year younger. Um, he, but he's said that he plans to continue playing. Um, so he could be a guy that maybe potentially comes back as well. Um, but uh, with the performance that Rosenthal had, you know, it could be a bidding war type situation and then probably doesn't bode well for them. Right. Um, but he's a, he's a Lee Summit guy, a uh, guy who's had history with, uh, you know, Mike Matheny, a guy who um, even at the trade deadline before he got traded was pretty, you know, clear about the fact that he wanted to stay in Kansas city. Um, so, you know, there's, there's hope there, but again, if it gets, if it gets into a bidding war, it's probably not, uh, not very likely. Um and then you've got the young guys who you've got under control, which is, you know, maybe the most encouraging part is you've got, you know, guys like Scott Barlow, who seemed like he was pitching just about every day for a stretch there. Right. Um, he's and he's pitched well. He's he's a guy who's under control. Um, you've got Josh DeMont, who just comes in throwing, you know, 100 miles an hour and who's looked really good at times um, and looked definitely looked like he made some big improvements from the year before where he was sort of command was all over the place um you know you get kyle zimmer who's really started to come into his own and 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 settle in as a bullpen guy and a reliable bullpen guy who's still under control um you know tyler zuber rookie looked really good at times at times had sort of those uh greg holland outings where you know he might put two guys on three guys on and then still get out of the inning <laughs> um yeah. and who's just in his first year so i mean so there's and there's other guys too i mean jake newberry's looked good at times um you know, Matt Harvey, um, they sort of moved into the bullpen, but then he got injured. So, I mean, there's a lot of guys. Jesse Hahn looked really good. You know, um, uh, he, he 
came back from the elbow injury, pitched at the end of last season, um, got a little bit of time in September, and then this year, full-time in the bullpen, um, looked really good, um, almost, you know, potential uh, closer type. I mean, he closed some games at the end of the season. So um, there's a lot of guys that they know they have, and then there's guys that you're going to have to make some decisions on and maybe have to try and fight for through free agency. Um, but there's enough there that makes you think that bullpen could be strong going forward. Okay, let's look at, uh, you know, we mentioned we were talking about Salvador Perez. I was telling you I hadn't seen a hotter bat by Salvi, and certainly it was – uh, he was on fire for um, for a couple of weeks there. But here I'm, I'm looking at uh, Alberto Mondesi's stat line on in game 49. After after game 49, he was hitting 203. After game 60, you know, he hits 256. Um, you talk about an incredibly hot bat. I, I think I saw a tweet by a, a stat freak after the season that, that Mondesi had either one of the, the greatest weeks of hitting in Royals history. And just in terms of batting average and numbers, the way he finished the season was so encouraging, but look, he got off to such a lousy start and, and we were spent a lot of, a lot of the season just wondering about him. And uh, was he going to, you know, uh, was he ever going to develop into the player? We, we all expected him to, and then he showed in the last couple of weeks just what the potential is and maybe even went beyond that a little bit. So did, did the last couple of weeks really alter your perception of, of, of Mondesi and, you know, and, and change the way you feel about him going forward? I mean, I don't think it changed my, my feeling of him just because I think we all or if you've been around long enough and, you know, and seen enough of him, you knew that that potential was there. You just weren't sure, you know, um, from how how consistent he was going to be, which is always the the question when you got a guy right. who's shown the potential. Um, previously, I think the the issue had been, is he going to stay healthy enough to show it? And so this year, health wasn't the issue; it was just the actual performance, or at least as far as we know, health wasn't the issue. I mean, we've we asked multiple times because obviously he came off of shoulder surgery that ended his previous season, and then rehabbed it, and then his spring training was sort of um, out of whack because he was working out in spring training and he, he did some, um, you know, stuff on the field, even some like almost uh, inner squad simulated game type stuff, but he never actually got into a game before they left Arizona. So he rehabbed and he took part in spring training, but he never played a spring training game. And then they had the three months off and then um, came back for the spring training 2.0. Um, and he never, let that be an excuse. And, you know, we've, we asked him about it multiple times, but he never really let on that that had anything to do with his timing or anything like that. Um, but so I don't think it changed seeing what he did late in the season. Cause I think we all knew he could do that. It still sort of leaves you with the question because of the first half of the season is where is he going to be on a regular basis between those, the, that Jekyll and Hyde that we saw this right. year. Um, Cause I mean, that second half of the season, like that's the guy that, you know, when, when you hear them talk about, you know, I think in July, um, Dayton Moore dropped the word star, superstar, that that's what this guy was going to be. And um, that's when you see that last 29 games, that's the type of thing that they're talking about. A guy who's hitting, you know, 300 with six home runs and 20 RBIs and stole, you know, 17 bases, and 
I mean, like this is all in, you know, like a 29 game span and, and he just was, you know, everything. I mean, he was taking walks and extra bases and everything else. Um, and the whole season he did play really good defense. I mean, like he made some plays when he was hitting, you know, a buck 75, whatever. He made some defensive plays certain nights that made you stop and, and, you know, sort of be in awe. So, I mean, I think that maybe is the one consistent thing that you saw was that defense that people talked about, and, um, which is why the, part of the reason that they, they've called him a five-tool guy. Um, but the the offense, it's still, um, like I say, it's it didn't change. It just still leaves you with the same question, just uh, in more of a stark contrast between, you know, the first 30 games and the last 29. Right, right. Well, Look, he, he's um, um, the, the those the second half of the season was just phenomenal, especially the last, like I said, the last couple of weeks, and um, and then th- that was uh, look it changed the you know, the Royals were headed for last place, and and probably the a record that would not have been much of an improvement from a winning percentage over the last over the previous year, but his heating up at the, at the end, they, they, what they ended up winning four of their last five and five of the last eight, something like that. And, and, you know, beating the, the Cardinals and the Tigers. So uh, it, it made a big difference for, for the Royals when he played the way that he did. You know, the other thing that one of the other encouraging players that, um, that I noticed was uh, Franchi Cordero. Um, and, and it came over, right. It was at the Tim Hill trade that brought him to to, to the yep, Royals, that's okay. correct. And um, and I'm thinking uh, this this might be the left fielder, uh, the, the the Alex Gordon replacement. Do you think the Royals are thinking that way? Yeah, he's definitely one of the candidates. He's he's um, when when Dayton Moore was asked about that late in the season, I can't remember if it was at the end of the season or might have been. Um, it might even have been when we were talking about Gordo's retirement and wh- where they're going to turn after that. Um, the, one of the first names off of his mouth was. Uh, off of his lips was Franchi Cordero. And so, um, and he's a guy who they've been interested in for a while, um, for multiple years. And um, I mean, just uh, athletically and in terms of, you know, just like tools, this guy is, um, you know, he's he's a, just an athlete and a, a guy who um, he's got power, he's got, you know, he's uh, speed, he's, you know, above average in a lot of different categories. Um, they feel like he's got a, a hit tool that still is uh, developing. Um, the the thing with him with San Diego is, you know, you look and he's been one of their guys who's been a one of the highly thought of prospect in years past. He just had injury issues that sort of derailed him and kept him from um, being, uh, you know, consistent uh, in the past. But they feel like he definitely can be, um, you know, a guy who, if, if he continues to make those strides, could be an, an everyday guy, maybe take over that spot in the in left field. Um, but again, this even this year with him, he's a guy that, you know, he got a little bit of a shot early in the season and the results were sort of mixed. And then you come to find out that he had the, a hand thing and they ended up having to um, do the handmade procedure. Uh, and so you didn't see him again until the end of the season. And then he looked pretty good at the end of the season. He had the game where he came out and hit two home runs. And I mean, he hit, you know, Solaire type home runs. I mean, these weren't, right. you know, um, <laughs> cheapies. These were, you know, and they were Rushed at Kaufman. Them. Yeah. Um, and so uh, it's one of those things where it, you wonder if it's going to be one of those guys who's obvi- always sort of giving you those 
peaks at what he could be? And then is he going to have injury issues, which they've seen in the past, or is he going to be consistent? Um, but there's definitely a lot there to to be at least uh, excited about the potential of what he could be. Okay, so what do you think? What are the big questions for the Royals? What 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 issues do they need to solve uh, going into next season? I'm, I'm not sure that people will look at next season as a as a playoff potential team, but just to keep the team on the right track and to continue to see them develop and, and make progress. But where do the Royals need to improve? Well, one thing that will be interesting to see is um, do they decide that Whit Merrifield is finally an, an everyday outfielder as opposed to the guy who gets moving around? Um, and that question, something I'd written about a couple of weeks ago, was gonna is going to rely on a couple of things, partially on Mondesi, because if Mondesi can hit consistently, then you can afford to have Nicky Lopez, who's hitting is, is sort of lag behind where it's been in the, the minors. Um, but who's been really good, who's been, you know, tremendous defensively. Right. You can afford to carry him even if he's as bad as, you know, maybe scuffling a little bit. If Mondesi's doing what he did at the end of the season, then then it doesn't, you know, Nicky's bet doesn't really matter as much as long as he's giving you a high-caliber defense. And then that gives you that Salvi, Nicky, uh, Mondi up-the-middle defense that, you know, you'd love to have in baseball, that up-the-middle, and those those three are – you know, that's as far as a shortstop, second base catcher. That's a, a heck of a group right there, just based off what they've been able to do defensively. Um, if that's the case, then you can say, okay, well, what's going to be an everyday outfielder, and um, and maybe you put him in right field, and Hunter Dozier played a lot of first base down the stretch, and then that's you know you get yourself more of a almost a set lineup. Whereas the last couple of years, we've seen a lot of guys sort of moving in and out of spots and and playing multiple positions as opposed to having set positions um but Mondi Mondi is going to do what he did in that first half of that season then then they're going to probably be saying well we need every bit of offense we can out of these positions and that means that Witt's going to be playing more second and then you got to figure out what else you got for options in the outfield um so that to me that's one of the questions um be interested to see what they settle on and how they settle on that uh, and again that relies on a couple other positions. Um, again, the uh, the Hunter Dozier, that he's going to be a full time first baseman, which you know down the stretch that looked pretty good. Um, yeah, that, that right. looked pretty good, and we've seen his production offensively. Um, this year was sort of a a disjointed year for him. He had the COVID, which put him back, and then he's admitted, uh, you know, that when he came back, he was still feeling effects of that, where he just, you know, he wasn't. Um, feeling as strong, and he had the shortness of breath and everything like that, even after he got back to the big league club. Um, the pitching, as much as everybody wants to, you know, sort of fast forward to a place where you've got all these young pitching prospects in the rotation, um, I sort of caution, I guess, against that, just in the fact that we only saw a abbreviated season for Bubich and Singer, and, um, you know, teams nowadays have been pretty careful about the innings limits and how teams uh, elevate those from year to year. I don't know that you're going to be able to count on a full season of that next year, and um, anybody you bring up who you think is going to slot into that rotation is going to have done alternate site and then maybe this fall ball, and then you're going to yeah. look for 200 innings out of these guys next year. I don't think that's realistic um asked Dayton about that at the end of the season he 
gave you the old, uh, you know, we're not going to put limitations on our guys, but um, I think in the past we've seen them actually put limitations on guys. I mean, I think we've seen them shut down Brad Keller and Jacob Junis at the end of the previous season. So right. um, I think that's a question mark that, you know, people want to um, already make plans for what that rotation is going to be with all these young guys. And I think that's, that's going to have to wait just because of, situation this year and the fact that they didn't get those innings and you're not going to take a guy from, you know, I'm trying to remember what Bubich ended up with, but I think, I think Bubich ended up with 50 innings this in this year. He did right at 50, and, right at 50 and singer was um, like closer to he 70, led, led, led the team at 64 and a third. Yeah. And so next year we're saying they're going to be what, you know, 170. I don't, I don't yeah, know. That's, if t- that's, that's a, you're right. That's, that's a quite a, that would be quite a jump for, yeah. for, for those arms. Yeah, so I think people who want to sort of like move Junis to the bullpen and say, well, maybe Montgomery, who you know had missed most of this year, is is a full time bullpen guy. It's like, well, maybe, but um, where, where are you getting the rest of these innings? That's <laughs> that's yeah, one, be one no, of the big right. questions for me. And if you bring up, you know, you want to bring up people, obviously look at Jackson Kowar, um, Daniel Lynch. People already want to make the jumps with Asa Lacy, who you know pitched. Uh, I think a month of a college season this year and then got drafted and then has been at the alternate site for, you know, um, he was at the alternate site since once they brought him up there in, in August at some point. So um, you can't, you can't start projecting these guys to start, I mean, to their starting rotation and just uh, to me, you can't, but people will <laughs> to me. you right. can't. Um, so that means you're going to, you know, that you, you'll still have to rely on a lot of um some of these guys that, you know, you've been relying on the last couple of years, whether that's Junis or Montgomery, um, you know, obviously Brad Keller looked really good this year. Um, Danny Duffy, who would be in, uh, you know, final year of his deal next year. So, I mean, that's how the pitching staff, the starting rotation, how they manage that next year will be very interesting to me. And I think whether they still feel like they need to go out and try and add some, some depth to that group, some innings to that group, this offseason will be interesting because, this offseason, adding in general this offseason is going to be a big question mark because teams just, you know, they took a hit this year financially. And to say that they're going to go out and spend in free agency, I'm not sure what that's going to look like for anybody, let alone the Royals. Right. That's a good point. That's a good point. Well, all these questions uh, for the Royals in, in an increasingly difficult division. Uh, we saw what the White Sox did uh, this year. And so, um, and three of the teams, of course, made the playoffs out of, out of the Central. All right, let's let's leave it here, Lynn. We've, there's so much we can, so much more we can talk about, and so we will in a in a future podcast. Uh, and there's a lot of decisions that the Royals have to make after the World Series. Baseball decisions get uh, uh, a lot of decisions get made, so we'll be paying attention then. So, Lynn, great catching up with you, and we will talk to you again soon. Thanks for having me. That'll do it for today. Thanks to our production staff of Derek Donovan, Randy Mason, Beth Welsh, Jeff Rosen, Chris Fickett, and Savannah Smith. Tip of the cap to Lynn Worthy, who stopped by and talked Royals. His stories can be found in the show notes and on KansasCity.com. Hey, we've got another deal for you, especially for those who want to deep dive into the Star's terrific Chiefs coverage. For a limited time, you can subscribe to Sports Pass for 99 cents a month. That's right, 99 pennies a month. After three months, it auto-renews at $5.99 a month unless you cancel. How do you get that? You go to KansasCity.com slash SportsPass2020. That's KansasCity.com slash SportsPass2020. And do you want more than just sports coverage? I do. 
Check out the entire Kansas City Star product, sports news features, commentary, and analysis. You get all the stories written by my talented colleagues, plus additional news, sports, and business coverage with the e-edition. Those details can be found at account.kansascity.com slash subscribe. Look, if you're having trouble hunting down these offers, just send me an email at bkirkoff at kcstar.com, and I'll get you to the right place. Whether it's a sports pass or the full subscription, you're getting and supporting the best sports and news coverage in Kansas City and helping us produce programs like Sports Beat KC. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back on Wednesday with another episode.